0: Welcome to Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. And this season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, and come spend time with us on social media. We are at WNB the Podcast, and that is both on Instagram and on Twitter. We were thrilled to spend some time with Iona Gika, and I hope that you enjoy our interview. Welcome to Why Not Both. Um, it's funny; I think I saw you open for garbage.
1: Ah yes. Shirley Manson the legend. It was um, was it in April of was it like around this time last year? I have a
0: um a very abstract
1: sense of time. And so I'm like that's entirely possible. <laughs> I'm the same way. Well then you and I subscribe to the whole time is the human construct thing
0: yes yes I feel like I was like okay I know where it was it was at um oh the theater that's connected to USC downtown it's beautiful um oh, the shrine? yes
1: yes okay so was was that of spring of last year was that last year that's a really good question um yeah I think I think it was. Uh, because then in the fall, I opened for Chelsea well, So yeah, that that would be that would have been the spring or early summer spring. I remember it was warm
0: and I was excited that I finally went to the theater by USC because my uh, several of my family members went to USC, but I did not. And I've always found that area in the campus really beautiful. And I said, oh,
1: how cool to be able yeah. to visit where your family has studied. That's cool.
0: And I just thought, oh, I finally get to see a concert here, and it was excellent. And I remembered you because I I was trying to look you up on my phone to figure out who you were, but there was no reception. And then I thought to myself, why not just enjoy what's happening, Pam?
1: Oh, well, I'm very <laughs> touched that you that you had that um,
0: reaction. I appreciate it. Oh, well, I appreciate what you do, and it's exciting to get to interview you. Like The whole the whole podcast is about pretty much all the other things aside from music that inform your passion in life, and so after looking you up and seeing, once I was out of the Shrine Auditorium, <laughs> <laughs> I got to see all the other things that you were passionate about, and I was like, ooh, I want to talk to her. <laughs> cool. Well, I
1: appreciate it. How How have you been, and what have you been up to? Um, well, are we, is this the beginning or are we just chatting? I don't know how these, I don't know how these work.
0: It's so funny. I used to have like a really structured, like what's the first thing that you do and what are the other things that you do and how do you balance your passions in life? And now I'm like, do we have a structure? Do we know what's going on? No, (laughs) it's, it's a strange new world. So I kind of tend to freeform it.
1: That is interesting. I find it interesting that you are letting go of structure in a time that feels so untethered and amniotic. Instead of clinging to structure, you are disassembling it. What what would be the ways that you would usually start prior prior to this?
0: My favorite question earlier was, uh, what do you do and what's a better question to ask?
1: Ooh, I love that you added the second part to that question. Well, that's, that, that's you know, it's interesting. The the phrase, what do you do, um, is a question that has always felt truncated to me, as yeah. if it is the genesis of an ad lib. And, <laughs> and yet the exchange of question and answer are at its core an accepted assumption of what I view as one born of a capitalist society, meaning what do you do dot, dot, dot for money or define your productivity in relation to society and the expectation of giving and assuming an answer guided by capitalism can create a discomfort as it feels like the exchange is um, marionetted. I don't think that's a word conducted by an invisible dictator. So um, I like that you add that second part of the question because I always seek to unleash myself from those invisible strings. Yes. Um, Because what do you do, you know, what do you do in an earthquake? Well, my answer, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, what what do you do in an earthquake?
0: I, um, well, it depends on how big it is. As an LA native, I, first off, if it's in the middle of the night, I I sit bolt upright. Um, That's my first move. I've never been able to just kind of chill. And then I try and determine how big it is and how long it's going for, because Mm -hmm. then it's either try and get to part of a stable frame of the house. Or if it's too big, which has happened a few times, it's either to curl into a ball with my arms and a blanket over my face so that I don't get beamed by things or to roll if I'm on a bed to roll to the side of the bed to create kind of like an A-frame if something falls so that you're protected underneath it.
1: Gosh, that's so much, that's a much better strategy than what <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, I sort do of like, earthquakes. <laughs> I like look to see if there's a hint of a sway from my chandelier. And if there is, I go on Twitter for confirmation that there is in fact an earthquake happening. And then I think random thoughts like, I'm so happy I wasn't getting LASIK at this moment or like, Ah! but but actually (laughs) taking measures to preserve your life are, are, it's just a way better move.
0: Uh, well, the, the Twitter game afterwards is really fun. Like, I've got to say, the the Twitter and the group threads after when everyone's guessing how big it is and like, the, you know, like talking about what fell, what will rebuild, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. that that's the fun game after. I think I was just trained by my parents from a very early age of just like, I don't know. I mean,
1: where did you grow up? I was born in uh, the United States. Mm -hmm. um to to a a greek immigrant scientist father Mm -hmm. um, and a greek mother and so i was um raised primarily in the u.s um but we would we would live for a few months in the summer each year in greece to spend time with my grandparents and uncle and extended family Mm -hmm. um and then uh my family um I mean it's 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 difficult to answer this question without sort of giving the whole map because um my parents divorced and mm. my mom remarried another Greek um oh, wow. and their life brought them to Southeast Asia. Um oh, wow. primarily posted in Jakarta so I was going back and forth for a time to um, My home with them there, and then my father uh, moved to Sweden, and so then my mom moved to Australia, and now she's back in Greece, and I'm in LA. So it was kind of goodness, all over the place. But, um, but you you grew up you grew up in LA. Yeah, I was like, so do you? What having grown up in a place where there's earthquakes and fires and what is your relationship with disaster (laughs) uh tacit
0: familiarity Mm. (laughs) and and then my brain flipped over to what you were speaking of before of by the way i love the phrase uh, like the turn of phrase marionetted I, I want to use that in the future i think that it, it it's brilliant and i was thinking about what you were talking about with the um, like the disaster of capitalism and i was thinking about like what it did to the greek economy and i was mm-hmm. thinking well that's a whole other disaster one has to prepare for yes
1: it, i have i have a cornucopia of tragedies i can share with you <laughs> 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 um but you know to go to the word marionetted it's or marionette rather cuz i I'm not even sure marionetted is a word, although I like it as a concept. But but the word marionette, I believe, comes from a f- the French. Um, because the first uh, marionette was the Virgin Mary, I believe. Really? Um, yeah, and I think that's where the word marionette comes from.
0: Huh. Whoa. So was she then controlled by the strings... Like, held by God, or would it... Right?
1: It feels like a sinister metaphor. <laughs>
0: <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know if it was to teach children in Bible school or what, but I, I recall that being the origin of that word.
0: Oh, my goodness. I'll have to... Oh, my God. Now I want to go down, like, a an Internet wormhole of looking that up. That's fascinating. Yeah. I always... I guess having been raised... Um, I guess I, I call myself like an expired Jew. I was I was raised Reformed Jewish, but like don't practice religion, but raised in that culture. Whenever I learn about, I, I'm fascinated by Christian culture and by Catholic culture and just like all the, all the things that I wasn't raised in, but are part of like Western religious tradition, I'm really interested in just because I find them fascinating. Um, is
1: there a particular point of entrance that is fascinating for you? I find ritual fascinating and I find the splits of the Marys
0: fascinating, like the Virgin Mm. Mary and then Mary Magdalene, like that duality. I think that's so interesting. And then that there's the other split of like Father, Son, Holy Ghost, but same thing. Like kind of like (laughs) combination (laughs) Pizza
1: Hut and Taco Bell. (laughs) I, my religion is combination pizza hut and (laughs) talk. Same thing.
0: (laughs) Same thing. Totally the same thing. Why can't you accept this is the same thing? This dichotomy makes total sense. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) I find it so fascinating. Yeah, the dichotomies. I guess it's also related to the interest in psychology of like the parts of ourselves that we aren't quite sure how to integrate. So it becomes a pizza, hot Taco Bell, (laughs) right? (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) like them together.
0: Like what when you were when you were younger and you did go there for the summers? Like what? I guess how did that inform kind of how you view yourself and what comes out of your work?
1: I. Have uh, as an only child, I spent a lot of time alone, and um, had parents that worked full time. Mm-hmm. So when we would be in Greece for you know months at a time, living with all together with my grandparents in their like tiny apartment in Athens, and then mm-hmm. going to the islands, um, it was a, a much different experience to my life in the United States. And so I've always felt a little bit like an odd ball. Um, like when Aww. I'm in the United States, I don't feel um, 100% American. And when I'm in Greece, mm-hmm. I feel strangely odd. I think I just always have a bit of um, an alien feel, but I connect to various places and various places um, and the textures and the sounds um, and the experiences have shaped and informed my work. So um, a lot of times it's giving thanks to to a place um, or mm-hmm. um, examining the place and how it's shaped me um, like a funeral in in um in Los Angeles is different from a funeral in Athens Greece which is different mm-hmm. from a funeral in Indonesia and even within all of these places funerals can be different to one another so i have seen a lot and ex- been exposed to a lot and i'm grateful for a lot of experiences and i think that makes its way into the the tapestry of of sound that i weave together
0: and that's interesting that you chose a funeral as as a thing to compare them. Like I was thinking of like ritual and also closure and also one of the most like, I guess, kind of like the the beautiful last gift that you can give to someone. And I was like, huh, that's a really fascinating thing to think about in the context of different cultures.
1: I've had just so many family members um, Pass away and i don't I don't want to steer this in in too dark of a direction, but my father passed away, my stepfather passed away, my uncle, my cousin, four grandparents kind of all in a short amount of time just over the course oh, of wow. kind of a few years and so maybe that's why i I jumped to the um, flagpole of funeral around which to create this maple <laughs> i mean that makes um, sense i'm i'm sorry but also that that totally makes sense um but yeah have you been to any good funerals lately <laughs> i don't <know>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean strangely enough when you said that um, two family members of mine passed away simultaneously on friday on either side of the family Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was one of them was very expected and the other was not. Um, And it was very strange because I reached out to my favorite cousin on the other side of the family, on my dad's side of the family, to tell him about my aunt who had passed away on my mom's side of the family. And he texted me back almost simultaneously because I had said, hey, I, I need to talk to you. Can I call you? And he had said, I need to call you. And it was because we were both informing the other of a death in the family.
1: Oh, my goodness. It was very weird. It
0: was very, very weird. Um, and so he and I have actually been talking every day now, pretty much, um, which I mean, we, we talk a lot anyway. We're family, but I, I don't usually
1: talk to him daily. Uh, but he and I uh, attended our first Zoom funeral. Oh, my goodness. What, I mean, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. How did that make you feel? It was so strange. Like it was,
0: now I'm curious about funerals in other places, like, because I'd never experienced a funeral like this, where of course, like, you know, in some ways, parts of it were very affecting because when you're witnessing people having an emotional response, at least in me, like I... I tend to, even if it's, it's distant over the internet, I, I tend to very deeply empathize. That's why sometimes I, I don't watch movies and things like that. As if I watch mm. people going through something, um, mm-hmm. I, I start going through it. <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes I'm like, no, thank you. We good now. Um, yeah. And so in some ways it was very affecting, but in other ways it was so uh, absurd, I guess is mm. how I describe it that it was it was hard to remember what was happening in the moment and like at one point the rabbi had his phone on but it was pointed at the ceiling of the car
1: oh my goodness yeah and he
0: it was like it, it, and my cousin texted me saying it looks like he needs to program his garage door opener oh <laughs> And I just texted him back. I was like, "You are not allowed to make me laugh right now."
1: <laughs> well, I think it's it. Laughter in is such. Um, it is something that has really helped me through these types of um, moments. And I, I just want to first say I'm so sorry about your family members. And also to I was going to apologize for. I, I, I speak about these things kind of colloquially, colloquially and and with humor because I think that's how I deal with things. I just tend to go to the side of humor, and that's what helps me. But what I've found is how um, surprising moments of humor can be in in at times that are seemingly just purely despondent. Like my, I remember at my grandmother's funeral, which was a really hard one for me because she lived with us. She helped raise me, mm-hmm. um, and I was in some ways at that time closer with her than I was with my parents, but mm-hmm. um, she died quite suddenly, and at her funeral, I just thought this is just the worst thing, and and <laughs> at her, um, it was the wake mm-hmm. um, we had all gathered, and all of a sudden, all the lights went out. What? And there was a gasp and I was like, oh my God, what is going on? And I looked over and my like, I think she's like a 90 year old great aunt of mine had purposefully and mischievously turned off the lights and looked at me and (laughs) winked. And it made me laugh and I never in my life thought that I would have laughed at a moment which was so heartbreaking to me, but it's kind of beautiful how we can have these these, these two emotions existing at the same time and, and perhaps that's why I oftentimes, you know, like def- default to humor um, yes. as a coping mechanism.
0: I would say humor and intellectualism are my, are my favorite defense mechanisms. So I'm on the same
1: page with
0: this. <laughs> Where, yeah, like I didn't know what to do in that moment. and I, I feel as though my favorite cousin and your great aunt are on the same page with this one. <laughs> Where people are like, well, what was that like? And honestly, the most salient moment is, you know, trying not to laugh on Because, like, my cousin had his camera off I, like, texted him back I was like, you're cheating You don't have your camera on
1: <laughs> classic classic funeral cheating zoom move exactly
0: he's like this feels like hollywood squares i was just like dude stop trying to make me laugh hollywood squares.
1: <laughs> yes. your family sounds cool
0: <laughs> or a bunch of weirdos it's excellent <laughs> oh my goodness it kind of brought me back to like Taco Bell Pizza Hut. Now I'm trying to like squish other weird places in my head like Baja Jolly Jollibee.
1: <laughs> yeah or like if we were to start the question what do you do with uh, what do you do when your dog gets attacked by the spray of a skunk? Well oh. apparently if you have tomato paste on hand you apply it. It masks the odor and also voila you have a dog pizza. So this <laughs> is a combination also. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe that should be my litmus test. <laughs> like that should be my opening question is like your dog, a skunk.
1: What, <laughs> what Taco Bell Pizza Hut combination can you make out of that? <laughs> because that feeling
0: you were talking about, about being like, kind of like one foot in one place, but one foot in another place, which means that in a way you're in neither place. Um, I was thinking about how that would inform what you make like that kind of like, I, I'm trying to think of it in a non-cliche term because the thing that came to my head was like fish out of water, but it's like you're in the water, you're just maybe kind of an exotic fish. Um, Hmm. And I was thinking about one one, I can words. It's good. I can words. I love that. I'm
1: going to I can words one day too. I can
0: words. I was thinking about that aspect of being otherworldly in a way and how that does come across in your music. And I was wondering... Do you um, do you collaborate with other producers, or are you doing most of the production work on your songs?
1: So, for my album Thalisa, um it was my first time taking an executive producer role. So, um, yes, I guided, um, albeit you know, in some ways, roughly because it was my first time doing it, and I hope to continue to learn and expand mm-hmm. in the area of production, but. Yeah, some of the songs on there, um, I produced and engineered on my iPad. Um, there's a song called messenger, which is purely on my iPad. Mm -hmm. Um, in some instances I worked with an engineer, um, Mm -hmm. uh, and I do love to collaborate. I'm open to the spirit of collaboration. Um, and, but I find that, um, I, I With this album, I wanted to take the sort of captain seat because the messaging mm-hmm. was quite personal. And mm-hmm. so even with the music video that I have out, um, I directed that music video and wrote the treatment and made the costumes and did the choreography and um, makeup and hair and everything because I thought oh, wow. like it would feel strange to me if someone were to come in and dictate what I'm supposed to do when the messaging was from me. So, and again, it's not a perfect video, but it felt important to me to, um, to guide that. That's fascinating. Like, and and that's so interesting that you said it
0: wasn't perfect. And I was just like, well, it sounds like it would be boring if it was perfect. It sounds like, (laughs) it sounds like it came out the way that you wanted it to. And I was wondering, how did you make costumes and such like that? Like that, that to me is so interesting when people like, I definitely try and execute my sonic ideas visually. And sometimes it it doesn't translate because that's not necessarily an area that I have as much experience in. And I was wondering, I was like, how did you do that? <laughs> it's really cool. I, th-
1: I think from growing up um, in a family that wasn't like super wealthy when you, when you grow up without, um, certain things, uh, um, at least for me, I would just learn to make it if I wanted shorts. Um, and if we, if I didn't have, you know, I, I wasn't a child that had access to their parents' credit card. So I would just take a pair of jeans and then cut them and maybe get in trouble with my parents. But, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, But I think that, you know, there's probably some quote out there about how um, lacking something can lead to invention. Um, Yeah. And so I just sort of, you know, look in my closet. I've made capes out of trousers. I've made trousers out of random fabric that I might get in the downtown fabric district. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Uh, yeah, that's when I say it's not perfect. I, I don't want to assume the role of a costume designer. Certainly, I haven't gone through that training. I'm not as good as um, a real costume designer, but um, I, I may do what I could with the budget of $500 and, um, yeah, made, made a, a goat pan surfing video.
0: Yeah, that's that's why I was so impressed. Is I I've watched that video and I was just like you created all that stuff because I was like I was like okay, I could get to maybe cape level. I'm like I can conceptualize how I'd logically make a cape um, and everything else. I'm <laughs> but like But also
1: it hmm. helps to have things laying around the house. I have masks um that I have like even from Walgreens because I I love the Renaissance Festival, and ah. so I also just have stuff, um, so, you know, some of it was altering, tailoring. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that, like you said, some of it is born from uh, having to be creative with the resources you have, and in a way, I've always enjoyed that uh, boredom is very useful, that, mm. that the idea of, you know, it's funny because anyone who knows me is like but you're never bored i was like yeah exactly <laughs> because <laughs> when I, when i do find myself idle unless i'm daydreaming about something i often that's what sparks me to do something is to is to be like okay well there's there's nothing here what what should i fill this with what do i want to do and if you don't have that pause or if you already have like an abundance of things that are already prefabricated it's like you wouldn't be that motivated to make something else
1: i agree Um, I really I I identify with that strongly I I don't get bored and again I think perhaps that's from spending so much time alone when I was little boredom was not I mean boredom is a luxury in some ways and that's um growing up that's not necessarily something I had either so like to 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 keep stimulated fill your mind um yeah, I I identify with
0: uh, what you're saying. What were some of the different experiences that you had? Because I've been to Athens as an adult, but I was never there as a child. And I don't have family there. And I'm curious, what was different? Like, what was your experience there as a child as compared to in America as a child?
1: So every uh, Like everything. <laughs> <laughs> the sounds, the temperature, the taste of food. I would say number one is the tomato. Yes. A tomato um, in, in the United States when I was, when I was growing up, it tasted mealy and. Anemic and, watery and Yeah, and watery. Um, and when I would be in Greece um, with the Aegean sea air wafting over me, eating an organic um warm tomato it was a completely different fruit i mean it was mm-hmm. it was like night and day it mm-hmm. was as if a black and white world had come into technicolor for my tongue ah! and so that to me was like the earliest memory of oh this is a completely different place experience mm-hmm. um set of values culture uh And so having two parents that are Greek and growing up in the United States, I would say that I feel more aligned. I definitely feel more aligned with Greece um, Mm -hmm. in terms of what speaks to my soul. But having this small nuclear unit um, and growing up then, and then, you know, like spending quite some time in the United States it was just a very mm-hmm. odd feeling but i would say the tomato is is my um is like the you know proton and neutron of of my,
0: yep. my experience i like it in my mind it definitely the proton is the greek tomato and the neutron is the american
1: tomato <laughs> <laughs> oh well this okay so this um not to get too off topic but uh i'm i'm passionate about science and scientific discoveries um i think on some level my my father uh, studied physics and i i feel like i would have totally been a scientist if it mm-hmm. weren't for me being so awful at math i'm like really really bad at math <laughs> and i just kind of assumed i just thought when i was little yeah i'm going to be an astronomer my my father you know he he um he did physics at MIT. Like I'm that, I must have the same mind. And then I literally cannot calculate a tip at a restaurant. (laughs) I'm, I'm seriously like, it's, it it really bumps me out, but I still have the passion for science and scientific discoveries. And so I was going to ask if you had heard about, um, how we may have spotted a parallel universe. Did you hear about this?
0: No, please tell me. And that's, that's perfectly on topic. Literally the podcast is about what are all of the other things that you're passionate about? So I'm like, brilliant. Tell me more.
1: Oh, cool. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm, yeah, I can tell you all sorts of other things like, I I sometimes wonder why there's so many circles in the word good when written in the English language in lowercase. But but to stay on topic with science. <laughs> I was like parallel universe and then talk about good because I also never realized that and that's
0: fascinating in the phonetic script. That's very strange.
1: Yeah, it's super super weird to me. But but so in the Antarctic scientists have been studying cosmic rays using this balloon type machine called the ANITA Um, Mm -hmm. Which is a device designed to detect particles from space and the trajectory of these rays are usually morphed by magnetic magnetic fields, which makes finding their place of origin very difficult. So there's this really Mm -hmm. great article in NewScientist.com, which is a website that I love, but basically Mm -hmm. there is one type of particle called a neutrino. Do you know about this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So okay, if the listeners don't know, basically it doesn't have a charge, therefore it travels through the universe in a straight line. So To locate the origin of a neutrino, you can examine the the trajectory using the ANITA balloon to see the direction that it hits the ice. But scientists began to discover particles hitting the ice, not from above, but from below. So what does that mean? Well, there are... Three types of neutrinos is the muon tau and electron. The tau neutrino can sometimes rarely morph into another particle, which is the, it's called like the tau lepton or something. Basically, before reverting to a tau neutrino, um, they were thinking perhaps it's possible that the tau neutrino had a trajectory through Earth by Mm -hmm. morphing upon impact. But that was a stretch because the odds of that happening are something like one in a million for that to happen twice. Right. Uh, So what they think, and what this article was talking about, was that the particles are evidence of cosmic rays going back in time and that there is an anti-universe going backwards in time towards the Big Bang rather than traveling away from it. Oh. And that this might be the first evidence of that occurring.
0: Of time working the opposite direction then. Yeah. Ooh.
1: Combination, Pizza Hut Taco Bell of time in reverse and going forward.
0: I just got chills and feel very validated in my perception of time.
1: Exactly. Which was like the first thing you said to me, which, I, which is just so interesting.
0: <laughs> that is... Okay, I'm like, one, I need the link to that article. Two, that's fascinating. <laughs> yes, I'll send it to you. Yes, please. Uh, that is and that's it's so interesting when you said that you wanted to to be a scientist and then thinking about what we were talking about with sonic engineering and how you were talking about almost the sonic textures of different places i thought to myself while you're speaking i was like but but you are a scientist you are an engineer you are all of those things it's just that it, it it's musical like it it comes out in a different format
1: oh well that that makes me feel better <laughs> <laughs> like oh wait but you did
0: you you did those things you were just telling me about how you were doing them on your iPad (laughs) (laughs) and I I feel like sometimes music is like mathematical textures come to life like when I actually analyze something I wrote after I wrote it I can generally see the theory behind it and can see like why structurally sometimes things I write sound better than others and be like oh there there actually is like a mathematics scaffolding to this but it's not on the forefront of my mind when I'm doing it. Um, Did you
1: study music theory like did you go to school for it or did you study it? Yeah
0: I actually I took it's funny, I, I petitioned in high school for AP music theory to count as a language because um, I was taking French at the time and our teacher was the only teacher I had who was honestly not very good. Every other teacher I had was excellent. I think that she had just kind of like like checked out at that uh, point in her career and she was just playing the dulcimer for us and having us watch movies, which is lovely. <laughs> I, I love the dulcimer, but like the hammered dulcimer does not teach you French. Um, that is so
1: interesting. <laughs> I love that cross section of language and music. Also, not to interrupt, but the the Ren Fair, the Renaissance Festival, has dulcimer karaoke. Yes. Just FYI.
0: Wait, d- dulcimer karaoke?
1: Yes, but but I'm I'm way more interested in the story that you're that you're telling me. So you petitioned <laughs> for I this petitioned AP for AP
0: music theory to count for my language credit, because I did not want to take AP French with this woman. And so I I had been afraid that learning the structure of music would take away the magic of music. But in fact, once I learned it, then I could kind of just toss it into the back of my mind, and just like kind of forget about it when I was writing, and then use it, and then kind of use it later in the editing process if I wanted to. Now I'm wondering, I was like, how did you, how did you start playing music in a, because you had said that your father was a scientist, and what field was your mother in?
1: My mother studied philosophy. So I Mm -hmm. I created a a nerdy joke, which is that my dad was a scientist. My mom is a philosopher. So I'm full of angstrom, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, but my mom is a writer. Um, Mm -hmm. She also, um, uh, but but when I grew up, I, I guess my initial pull towards music had to do with listening to the song bolero by ravel wow um, and i was um i was just i was discussing this recently but basically i um i loved that song when i was around 7 mm-hmm. it was so passionate and climactic and so my first instinct was i want to Eat this song like I want to ingest the song. I want to know everything about it. We didn't have a piano, but our next door neighbor did, and I would play uh-huh. with our next door neighbor's cat a lot. So it, named Dusty, R.I.P. But I remember that I, re- I, I I noticed that they had a piano, so I asked my parents if they could call the neighbor mm-hmm. and ask if I could use their piano for a little bit. So they did. They left a key under the mat. I went oh. next door, and um, my feet couldn't reach the pedals, but I. I eventually learned how to play that song. Excellent. Um, And so that was the beginning of my familiarity with the keyboard. And my parents finally got me this like miniature Casio keyboard. And then they noticed that I was spending a lot of time with it. So then they upgraded me one Mm -hmm. Christmas to a Yamaha Mm -hmm. keyboard.
0: Ooh, Moving up.
1: Moving on up. And I was really excited about that. And um so then I just spent a lot of time. I got I I also eventually got my own cat. So a lot of time spent <laughs> with a cat and a keyboard. <laughs> um, and that's an excellent um, combo. I I it was my my entire universe. And so um yeah, I I have not I I, I did musical theater in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, I was part of choirs. Um, But I would love to at some point study music to be able to read notes. I think it would also help for me to articulate um, to musicians that play with me when they bring my music to life on the stage. Mm -hmm. I think it would be Mm -hmm. a more efficient way of getting the information across as opposed to just like being like, and then it goes meow, 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 because i like default to meow. So I'm like <laughs> meowing the bass line, meowing the violin part, meowing the... So, um, but actually- I have I have so much um, admiration for people who have studied music and I would like to um, to do it one day as well.
0: Well, and sometimes those meows are very freeing. Like I think that kind of being, like studying classical music as a kid and then studying music theory, I sometimes was afraid that I would like mess up the meows essentially if I was explaining something to something I'm like what if I do it wrong because everything was so precise and, and and now it's you know I've I thankfully untrained myself from that it took a while mm-hmm. uh, it was like the fear of of messing up the meows and that's interesting that then on the opposite side you're like maybe Maybe there's another way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to tame the meows. (laughs) I'd like to teach my cat to be on a leash. I mean, not on a leash, but to to understand the physics of why a cat lands on its feet every time. I think I think that thirst for knowledge and and, and being inquisitive is like a really good thing. Um, And I, yeah, I want to know why the cat lands on its feet.
0: I would, I would love to know that. That's funny that you had a cat by the keyboard. One of my, um, I call it our forbidden love affair. One of my neighbor's cats uh, has decided that they are now, in fact, my cat, um, <laughs> and will sneak in my door at any provocation. Um, and I can hear when she's approaching when I'm playing the piano because she has a little
1: jingle bell on her collar. <laughs> <laughs> she's like please put me in coach I can do percussion exactly did you ever read that article there was an article or perhaps it was like a kind of like hidden edition 2020 about cats and how many houses they visit <gasps> oh my and god And it's something crazy like the cat is having an affair with like multiple <laughs> homes
0: all cats are low-key polyamorous.
1: <laughs> They're, yes, yes, apparently.
0: <laughs> smart, smart cats. I've been, I mean, I do wonder that because I do live in like a condo complex and I do hear other people talking to her. Her name is Begonia. And I, begonia, and I do.
1: Begonia, oh my right? God. That So the word Begonia, I just am so touched by, by hearing that word because It's a word that immediately makes me think of the warm bosom of my grandmother that I described earlier who had that funeral. I literally, it's a word that she would use a lot. And I have not thought about that word in such a long time because I just, it it doesn't come into my consciousness that frequently. So I'm just like really um, quite touched to hear it. And I think it's such a great name for a cat.
0: Oh, I feel like maybe the cat's a mixture of your grandmother and your mischievous great aunt.
1: Yeah, that's the, yeah. The proton and neutron, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell of my dead ancestors. Is this? Cat. I need to find this. I need to meet this cat Begonia I on the it. GoPro. Oh my
0: gosh, I'll, I'll send you a photo of her because she's a beautiful cat. I was wondering, when you were talking about learning how to do stuff on your iPad and things like that, I was like, oh, what other experience do you have with music stuff? And also when you were talking about, this is an offshoot of that, prior to all of the music stuff, like, did you work other jobs or have you always worked in music? Or like, what's your relationship been like to both of those things? I guess learning how to engineer and then jobs outside of music.
1: I've had a million odd jobs. When I moved to Los Angeles, um, I initially wanted to move to New York, and then my mother was like, "Well, you know, that's nice, but how are you going to afford that? <laughs> New York is very <laughs> expensive." She said, "You have an extended cousin um, that lives in LA," and I was like, "I do." And she said, "Yes, maybe, perhaps that cousin will rent a room to you." So, I—that's um, what I did. I, I was—I contacted this cousin. She rented a room to me. And when I moved here, I didn't know anybody. So I had to make ends meet to sustain my art. And so I I had worked all sorts of jobs, um, which I'm grateful for, because with each different thing that I've done, it's informed how I see things. I think it instills me with a sense of gratitude and understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Yeah, I don't know if that answers the question.
0: but That um, does, because I think that I've talked to a lot of artists about this, about that there's this myth that if you have a day job or if you're working other jobs, that somehow your art is less pure. And then there's other artists who have said that, if anything, sometimes when your art isn't tied to money, that that almost kind of frees you in a way to make different kinds of art because it's not predicated on like, will it be profitable?
1: You know, I think that in a way, it's an ecosystem. Um, but to go back to the question of what do you do? Um, and why there's a discomfort with that. Um, the It's like I... Again, I kind of want to be unleashed from those invisible strings that we discussed with the Mary yeah. Um. So I think part of the discomfort also comes from the fact that what do you do is actually, if you follow it with, instead of an ellipses, if you follow it with wh- what do you do right now? Well, that's a very easy question to answer. Mm-hmm. What do you do right now? Well, we're, we're on the phone with each other. We're, we're recording mm-hmm. this right now. Um, but when I give a non-capitalist answer, it's a lot easier. What do I do today? I can tell you what I do today. What I do today is I think about, before we were on the phone, how I think about how there should be justice for Ahmad Avery, who was gunned well, down by yeah. white supremacists. Um, I signed a petition. What I do today, later on today, is try and crack the code of a song I've been working on What I do today is, you know, all sorts of things. And what I do at present right now is speak to you. So I think there's, there's no discomfort with that. I know exactly what I've been doing today, but because Mm -hmm. there is this invisible assumption that what do you do has to be tied to what do you do for money or Mm -hmm. what do you do for productivity? You will rarely find someone saying, I am standing in my home. Instead, they'll say I'm a homemaker. Um, which is completely valid it's completely valid but it shows me that there is this pressure to say what do you do regarding productivity and how it relates to society right so i think that at its core what do you do in this moment is a, is a, is a pretty easy question to answer but it makes people feel so uncomfortable because of this elephant heel of gravity on your shoulders saying no you have to say what it is that you do to make money and then maybe perhaps that's why people start to feel like oh god well i you know if someone for example has multiple jobs um but they're also a musician that 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 like you know to describe what you what you said earlier um Mm -hmm. that's that's what it makes me think of
0: yeah and like it strangely it related in my mind back to how we were talking about time where if you think of time as a construct and think of just the immediate moment, because that's all we know that we technically have, because otherwise we're reflecting on either the past or the future. It's like, okay, if you say, what do you do? like That's very much something you could answer in the moment. And you could you could maybe scope out a little bit like in the future. Like I was like, oh, yeah, I could see that. And it's almost like all those cumulative moments do like kind of snowball into making more of a narrative. But otherwise, it it's kind of tied to, well, what are your conceptions of time? What's your value of productivity and things like that. And And some of the things you're describing might eventually lead to something that would be considered an end product. But it sounds like if you're staying in the present moment and seeing time that way, you would be focused on like, well, if you're cracking the code of a song, that song may in fact become a finished song or it may be a half-crack song, <laughs> or it mm-hmm. may turn into a totally different song. Or you might get distracted and pick out part of that song, and it might go into another song. Or you know, like you absolutely. don't know the end goal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. the The first song on my album is called Rosie. It Rosey It took years to write. I first started that song. I think in like I don't know if it was like 2012 or 2014. Um, uh, but it it took such a long time, and it was born out of a premonition. And then <laughs> I just was trying to, almost like a, a Rubik's Cube, clicking through all the various combinations to, to say, how can I express this um, closest to the seed of emotion and thought that I have right now? And it just, it took a long time. I'm always mesmerized by by people who say like oh that song took me 5 minutes i've i've certainly had songs that have taken less than a billion years to write yeah. but um, for me sometimes cracking that code really takes time yeah and that i've i've
0: had similar experiences i liked what you said about seeking justice that seeing seeing injustice in the world and doing something about it i was reading about um about that murder today and about the fact that the thing that really got me is that he used to wave at people when he was jogging in his neighborhood, like he was known in his neighborhood
1: i, I feel like I'm gonna start crying it's such it's such a awful and sad um, but sadly prevalent and frequent um, topic uh, yeah. of the injustice that occurs yeah. um, i I hope that there is movement in that case and I hope that the justice is served like it's just it's uh yeah yeah I feel
0: I feel the same way and it's it's a good way to define oneself if you say what do you do and it's well I spend time engaging in justice for others. I think that that is definitely, you know, in some ways when you think about, well, what do you do? It's like, well, what does that look like? And it's like, well, I educate others. I read so that I can educate myself. I sign petitions, I donate to causes. Like thinking about all the ways that you can engage in that that don't necessarily have to do with what one would define as productivity. I was like, I think that's deeply valuable.
1: I, I think that the question, what do you do is, is truly so much easier when it becomes more of like what do you value or what don't you value or what makes you laugh or how do you spend your time as appo- as opposed to what do you do and then a cliff edge <laughs> and we are all expected to do this creepy capitalist dance of saying something that ties to money yeah um, yeah I liked um I interviewed uh, Sudan
0: Archives. I asked her like what had changed since she she's signed to Stone's Throw. And she said that she loves the people there, but that in a way, having your creativity tied to inconsistency like doesn't necessarily help it in any way. Like it doesn't make her more or less inspired. She's just like, oh, I think people have the illusion that when you get a record deal or when it somehow has this like external validation of capitalism that somehow that changes your art and she said if anything it, it's sometimes easier <laughs> like to not have that to not have that attached and to just engage with what you do value and how you want to spend your time outside of money
1: hmm. I am um, I'm fortunate enough to be signed to a record label um, right now sergeant house before that I was on and, um, a record label called i am sound mm-hmm. um and i am sound are lovely people and um when i left i am sound um you know i think it was in some ways uh perhaps hurtful or difficult for them but but then we are all totally fine now and i think they understand now i'm on sergeant house and by the way they're still a great great label um, mm-hmm. but now i'm on sergeant house and i think one of the things that i like about Sergeant House, and this is no slight to I'm sound, because um, I just want to make that clear. But um, I what I what I love about Sergeant House is that they are the type of label that just wants to foster the um, multiple ideas that I might have. And mm. they don't necessarily want to hear demos, which I which I think is interesting. Some, some labels are like, all right, we'll send us the demos. We'll let you know what we're thinking about it. Or like mm-hmm. we'll, we'll guide you in that. And I think what I think is cool about Sargent house is that you can offer them a completed project and they understand that that is your mission statement. Right. Um, and so I, I value that with them. I think I'm, I'm lucky in that regard that
0: sounds like a beautiful like kind of like a trusting relationship
1: of that they value
0: that you are going to do what you're going to do and that's why you're there mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they're like we trust you to do the thing go do the thing
1: go do the thing and that's
0: that's really cool i was just like that's cuz that's a rarity i i do have other friends who uh, have been on, have been on multiple labels and have had different publishing deals where uh, what you said is, uh, is often the case where it's like, give us the rough idea. And I can't even imagine in some ways giving my rough ideas to someone other than, uh, like my mixer. Why do they want to hear that? Like, what good is that going to do? Cause then you're not thinking about the artistry of it. You're thinking about something else while you're creating it.
1: Yes. And it's, it's looking for the restaurant before finding the food to use a pizza analogy. <laughs> it's like if I deliver the pizza, then they might think, okay, well, let's sell it in an Italian, you know, like a uh, restaurant or um, Domino's or whatever it is, as opposed to them saying, it has to be sold in an Italian restaurant, so deliver us that. Yeah. Which then starts to feel like a constraint. Um, and I, I don't do well when people tell me what to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this model works better. Me. That does sound
0: much better because thinking about music theory wise, when you're talking about that, it's almost like I remember in class, we would have to write uh, certain songs in certain structures just to practice writing in that structure. And occasionally I'd come up with something that I actually liked as a song but otherwise, it almost sounded like you know how how Mozart sounds beautiful, but also maybe like lightly sociopathic because it's so perfect.
1: Sociopathic. <laughs> I love. See that that is where your intersection of psychology and music have just totally shined amongst other times. Like, I love that you're able to say sociopathic to describe a musical movement. That's okay. So please describe what what it, what exactly you mean, because I love this.
0: It's like I love Mozart, but it lacks it lacks that like little twinge of human empathy of imperfection. That a lot mm-hmm. of times people who have um, difficulty with uh, like antisocial personality disorder and sociopathy, a lot of what they lack is affective empathy. They only have like cognitive empathy, where you can maybe imagine what someone else would feel like in a situation, but you lack the ability to feel it. Mm-hmm. um and so oftentimes like sociopathy and antisocial personality disorder they can be linked with like aberrant behavior because also um your fear response is lessened uh as well as your impulsivity <laughs> is heightened so it's kind of like your brain doesn't correlate steal the car with something bad happens to you like it's not high stakes in your mind like steal the car is like on par with like steal a paper clip um wow brain, okay yeah your brain just doesn't ping it as like more dangerous um and since you don't feel affective sympathy, if something bad happens and someone is is acting upset with you, uh, you don't yourself get upset. You might feel inconvenienced, um, but you don't. <laughs> and so it's really, it's interesting looking at um, the the brain stuffs behind it. But that's sometimes how I feel listening to Mozart is that he's writing things that are so perfectly structured that in a way they're inhuman. And so when I'm listening to it, it, it doesn't necessarily, for me personally, affect me in the emotional way of say like Chopin where some of his runs are kind of messy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, things are maybe like slightly out of place and people can interpret them a little differently. And like, there's kind of wiggle room in there. Whereas when I'm listening to Mozart, I'm like, this is like if an alien came to earth and was like, what, what is music? How do people listen to music?
1: Right, (laughs) Fascinating. (laughs) Well, because the latter is more of a thrill. How is this tangled, piece of string gonna unravel itself. I feel like I'm living on the edge listening to a composer maybe more like Chopin where it's like, th- this is chaos. Yeah. But I feel like I have the hope there's gonna be resolved. So I'm, I'm hanging on at the edge of my seat to find out how it resolves as opposed to, everything is completely measured and soon <laughs> we'll have the end. Yeah. It's like, it's not, it's not as much of a thrill.
0: it's really not. Bach also did write technically perfect music, but it was perfect and clever in kind of like that, like that fun way. Whereas like Mozart's music does not have that twinge of like, oh, I'm lightheartedly exploring this structure. It's more like, this is the structure. It's flawless.
1: Right. Like, ah. yeah. <laughs> so then it gives almost an uncanny valley feeling. Yes. Which you, you seem to touch upon earlier that it's almost like the alien, as you mentioned, coming down to earth and saying, This is what a song is. But there's like an <laughs> unease.
0: <laughs> um, because yeah. it, it's,
1: a, it's an approximation of what a song is. And it's like it's cool. very technical. Yeah. yeah it's I, like I see the AI.
0: It's like an AI wrote a song. It's so interesting. And, like, I think about people's versions of the songs. Like, I actually was listening this morning to the version of your song,
1: Mm.
0: which was beautiful. And it was cool listening to them, like, not simultaneously. That would be weird. It was back to back. I was just like, (laughs) wrong word. (laughs) Like, we're not, like, dark side of the moon in here. Um, But, like... And it was it was cool. And I was wondering, what was it like having him interpret your song?
1: Well, first, let me say that it's such an honor um, when anyone takes the time to interpret one's art through their own emotional channel. Mm -hmm. That was um, it was just so beautiful to hear him apply his own life experience and emotions to a piece that I had written and sometimes it's really surreal like going to a parallel universe and doing a slow dance and then all of a sudden the ocean rises up and does the exact same dance back to <laughs> you but it's the ocean so it's like a different yes it's a different substance it's a different entity but it's the same but it's through its own splashing movements that are beautiful but different so Um. It can be thrilling and, and it's an honor and I was also especially happy that the proceeds are going to the downtown women's center yes. and um, yeah i was really I was touched that he did it that's did you
0: two agree upon that, or was uh, was that his idea or your idea
1: We agreed upon it we agreed upon it I, I felt strongly that it would it would be great to give all the proceeds to a charity, and he yeah. um, is great at fostering community um and Mm -hmm. so it really spoke to him and together we agreed that um the downtown women's center would be a good a good organization and it is it's a fantastic organization
0: that's wonderful i think that goes back to what you were saying about uh, what do you value and how do you spend your time i think it's beautiful that you did that and that is very much in line with my values and so (laughs) that made me very happy
1: and and on a personal level i used to live downtown i've actually lived downtown twice um devendra used to have his art studio downtown and it's it's impossible not to live near skid row and not be profoundly affected and realize like just the the like the level of what's going on downtown yeah. so many men and women need help but especially um women who might be in situations where they're in an unsafe environment um it can be really scary and I can't imagine what that must be like for for homeless women so my I I just felt like a natural like no-brainer of course this is this is where this has to go um and perhaps because we both have spent a lot of time downtown, maybe that's how that was informed. I I I find it odd if anyone were to go downtown and not have that reaction because it's very apparent what's going on.
0: It became this incredibly stratified place where it was either you have a $4,000 loft or you're living on the street. Mm -hmm. And watching that transformation was so strange to me, like watching what happened downtown, because I remember that there was an air of uh, it being dangerous as a kid. Like it wasn't an area where my parents and I walked around and I didn't quite grasp why. Um, And seeing then as an adult, being able to see like how downtown changed, but also seeing the social stratification and seeing how much it was literally people on the streets or people in like beautiful lofts. I was just like, this is wrong. This is it is wrong. wrong. It is
1: deeply wrong. And when I was there and you would see these various establishments start to pop up like, um, I don't know if it's Starbucks or Earth Cafe or whatever. These, these places would start to be built. They'd be constructed. Mm-hmm. And do you think they would let homeless people use their bathroom? Of course no. not. Exactly. And so it made me sick because I'm like, how dare you come in, build this garish thing Charge twenty dollars for a cup of coffee, and you're you're telling me that then the the people who live right outside don't have access to this facility um, yeah. it's it's unacceptable,
0: yeah, so I very much value that that's a good way to spend your time is to be like, how can I help other people?
1: Yeah, and there's certainly um lots of time right now my my heart goes out to um all of the essential workers and yeah what is yeah yeah everyone's kind of experiencing my
0: internal sense of time and i'm like welcome (laughs) welcome friends
1: (laughs) welcome to this like viscous it is because time is like a yawn out before us right now where it like an extended yawn um not not to then assign the what would be expected adjectives that go with word yon like boring or or exhausting but it's just that it's just how long
0: yeah. it goes
1: because we don't know what the end point is. So it has truly made apparent the perception of time, how we digest it, that it is a human construct. Yes. Sometimes if I close my eyes and hold my breath, I really can tap into that sense that time is made up. Um, that we're both going backwards and forwards, possibly, according to this parallel universe theory. So I find it's it's such an interesting and unique period of time that we're in, period of time, to use the word time. Yes! it's, it's, It's just, it's fascinating.
0: And it completely destroys the notion of what do you do for an end goal because at this point we have noticed now that those end goals are fabricated. exactly. And so we're like, well, we're just going to do what we value in the moment. And it's going to turn into something. Do we know what yet? Yeah, no, that's okay. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for joining the metaphysical edition of Why Not Book?
1: <laughs> Thank you for having me in the, in, in the suspended time. Um, this was amazing. I, I appreciate huh? it.
0: Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNBThePodcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Let's
1: go.